legendary black man yeah. uh bo diddley uh you know originator of rock and roll blues guy uh yeah we all around consider him rock and roll i always for some reason consider him more of a blues guy than a rock and roll guy uh i mean he had straight up rock and roll songs but they were yeah. just different they, they they his his guitar sound was different than what anybody else was doing that's what it you was know? his guitar yeah you know the way it sounded like uh you know, like a shimmering kind of thing. We'll talk about that. You know, he he had all kinds of guitars that could duplicate that sound for the live shows. I I actually saw him twice, and in once in the nineties and once in two thousand and four. He was an already an old man at that point, but still, he was amazing. Yeah, he played BB King's. Do you see? Him? Yeah, I, I saw him at BB King's in the, he, like the late nineties. Yeah, he played BB King's at once or twice. He was there. Sure. Yeah. All right, so Mike, what you got for me today, man? What we got about uh, the okay. time of this? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive into this, okay? Uh, Bo Diddley, he was born Ellis Otha Bates on what December thirtieth, nineteen twenty-eight. What a name, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, he was born in Macomb, Mississippi, and he was actually adopted by and then raised by his mother's cousin whose name was Gussie McDaniel, and he took the McDaniel name. He dropped the Bates. Um, in 1934, McDaniel, the McDaniel family actually moved to the south side of Chicago from Mississippi. And he would then drop the Otha part of his name and just go by the name of Etha McDaniel. Um, he became right away a very active member of Chicago's Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, there he studied trombone and violin. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Bo could play violin. Um, in fact, he was actually so good at it that they asked him to join the church orchestra, which he did. And he would perform there uh, in that orchestra until he was about 18 years old. Well, you know, like most guys at 18, you know, we go through changes. And <laughs> he, he, discovered, he discovered guitar. Okay, uh, there was a lot of blues stuff going on. You're talking about 19, you know, mid mid 1940s. Um, Chicago was an epicenter of that, so he was exposed to a lot of like um, rhythm and blues and stuff. Sometimes he heard these things at a local Pentecostal church, which was quite different than a Baptist church. But uh, it was at that point that he, you know, he put the violin down and he picked up a guitar. Mike, let me ask you a question. So, so far, all these guys, a lot of them, how come all these guys almost went to Chicago? Well, that's like a big um, ah. black community to well, play there? Yeah, that well, what, what, that? yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, there was a lot of changes in the country, okay? 
Um, after the Second World War, there was a big exodus of, of black people out of the South, okay, to moving north. It had already happened even before the war, yeah. but um, and in this case, you know, Bo Bo's family moved. It was it was uh, 1934, so it it had already been going on. But by the end of the Second World War, a, a lot of blacks moved north to Detroit for for jobs in the auto industry. Chicago had a lot of work in those days, uh, and New York too, and Boston, yeah. other places. So you had this kind of like exodus of of the southern blacks going north uh it's it just happened you know mostly economic reasons but you know as more of them moved up there then they get their families they come later you know like that like sometimes the guys would go up there and work in detroit the auto industry and get you know get their get their family a couple years later to come up like that you know it was all based around work so they would go there, and they would also still stay in the craft and play music and stuff, and probably work. Yeah. That thing. Well, right. Like anything else, you take your culture with you. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you're gonna find people where you are that share the same culture. Maybe you're from the same town in Mississippi, but you're living in Chicago. You know, it all had to do with trying to make a living. Yeah. You know? So, um. He actually, uh, still going by the name McDaniel, he actually saw John Lee Hooker one night, and uh, who was very popular at the time in the 40s. Um, and he was very inspired by this performance. Uh, he was kind of developing an idea where he was going to go with his music. He, he was working as a carpenter and also as a mechanic at that yeah. point. And what he would do to kind of supplement you know, the income is he, he would – you know, play his guitar on street corners and stuff like that for extra money. A lot of people did that. Um, he actually had a little kind of uh, impromptu kind of band. They were called uh, the Hipsters, and he, later they were called the Langley Avenue Jive Cats. Okay, and his friend, a guy named Jerome Green, became part of his band, and he was a percussionist, and he would be with him pretty much consistently through the early 1970s. Um, one part of McDaniel's act at that point would be him and Green would would insult each other back and forth. Okay. <laughs> you know, in between in between the songs. Okay. They would just, you know, tell jokes like, you know, your mother's so ugly, like that kind of shit. And you know, <laughs> and you know, insult each other. But it was all done in like almost like a comedy routine in between all right. the in between the songs. If you ever saw Bo Diddley live, even as an old man, when I saw him, he's just, he was just funny. He came out on stage like dancing. Okay. And then he would start playing and he would dance again. You know, it just was like, he knew how to make a show, you know, even before he was famous. So in uh, 1943 and 1944, McDaniel played at the Maxwell street market. Okay. Which was a, uh, it, it, it's actually still there. I think they relocated it in Chicago to a different spot to make room to build something. But the actual location was famous because it was like a giant market, kind of what you see in Union Square. Okay, yeah, like sorry. food and whatever they were selling, used stuff, like a flea market. And, uh, and it was a place that. Right. right it was right. a place where somebody could 
you know, get everybody's attention and, and, and perform and make a few bucks. And then you never know, you might get spotted and someone might want to record you. Like it, it was a spot that everybody went to. All right. Know? So um, he was playing with a, uh, uh, in a band with Earl Hooker, uh, who was another blues, blues guy. And uh, he was, uh, the thing with, with Earl Hooker that he's known for is he was one of the first guys to ever use an electric guitar. All right. Nobody was really doing that at that point. Very few people. There were very few electric guitars, even in the early 1940s. Um, this went on for a few years. But by 1951, McDaniel was playing on the street with help from a guy named Roosevelt Jackson. The guy played a wash tub bass. And then there was a guitarist named Jody Williams. Uh, McDaniel had befriended him and he actually taught him guitar. Now, Jody Williams would later play the lead guitar on Who Do You Love, the Bo yep. Diddley song. Yep. But if you remember, too, Jody, Jody Williams also played with Howlin' Wolf. Yep. So okay. that's, that's, that was, that's, that was, that was last week's show. Yeah. It's connecting the dots again. Exactly. Always connecting the dots. Now, in, in 1951, he landed a regular spot at a place called the 708 Club on Chicago's South Side. Uh, he would perform sometimes with Muddy Waters, um, John Lee Hooker, Louis Jordan. Um, he would he would do if he wasn't performing with these guys, he did their songs. That was like part of his his repertoire to do a, a Muddy Waters song or somebody like that. In in late 1954, uh, he teamed up with harmonica player Billy Boy Arnold, okay, drummer Clifton James, and bass player Roosevelt Jackson again. Uh, to record some demos, and it was basically he had written "I'm a Man," okay, yeah. um, the song "Bo Diddley," okay. Uh, I, I, I think I, I, I misspoke right there. I said that he wrote "I'm a Man." I don't think he wrote that song, but that was that was something uh, that he covered. I mean, yeah. He covered that, that, yeah. And the actual song "Bo Diddley," which is something he wrote. Um, they would record these these demos at Chess Studios in Chicago with uh, Lester Davenport also on harmonica, a guy named Frank Kirkland on drums, and Jerome Green, who played with him for many years, on the maracas. You know, uh, that's the funny thing. A lot of guys also did the chess, because that must have been the Chicago that picked the guys the up. Chicago Blues. All the all the Chicago Blues guys were on chess. Were on chess, that okay, was, yeah. That was the label. That was the label, I guess. All right. Yeah. I mean, you remember Howlin' Wolf? Yeah, that's drove, what I'm saying. Drove up from he drove up from Mississippi to go record it. Yeah. Okay, hey, so that's, that's also, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess that's why so many of those blues guys were in Chicago because that was the place where they tape, get the demo out, and get it out yep. in the world. Yep, exactly. Um, they were very welcome to them. You know, they 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 welcomed them with open arms. You know. Did they, um, did they, did they, what did demos? Were they getting paid or they just recorded to try to make some bucks? How did that work? Well, the, the, the idea, no, um, the idea of a demo is to shop it around. Okay. Okay. So you don't make any money. If anything, you pay for it yourself. Or in this case, uh, I got a feeling it was, it was chess that might have footed the bill. Okay. Okay. But what would happen is they, in this case, they, they went to chess did the demo, and then Chess actually said, listen, we'll put it out uh, as a single. Wow. Okay, which is what they did. Uh, it was the song Bo Diddley on the A-side, and it came out March of 1955, 
and immediately shot to number one on the R&B charts. That's huge. Okay, so that was a big hit right away. Uh, kind of a unique song because, you know, he started using the name Bo Diddley, which I'm going to explain in a second how we got that name. Uh, and the name of the song was Bo Diddley. So yeah. it was just right, you know, very easy to recognize, well, you know, who he was and everything. So how did Bo Diddley get his name? Well, he, you know, he would be kind of like a little unclear in his life about it. He told different stories. Okay. I think he kind of did it just to never really, you know, keep it a mystery a little bit, you yeah. know? And he, what he would say is that um, uh, the name actually belonged to a singer that his adoptive mother, mother knew growing up, okay? Then uh, harmonicist, uh, harmonica player Billy Boy Arnold said that there was a local comedian with that name that uh, Leonard Chess, from the owner of Chess uh, Records, he just said, you know, just steal that name and take it, okay? <laughs> then then uh, Bo himself also claimed the name was given to him by classmates when he started, like, an amateur boxing career in the neighborhood, like a Golden Gloves kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, he used to do that, and they, someone called him Bo Diddley. But there's an instrument um, called a Diddley Bow. And it's it's kind of like something that is played. It, it used to be played in the rural South, all right. And its origins go back to Africa. Um, it's kind of like a one. It's like a one string guitar, okay. And in American slang, bow. The word bow at the time was what's called an intensifier, which means it. it, it it's like saying more. More, okay. Okay, and diddly. In, in American slang is short for diddly squat, meaning nothing. So in a sense, his name kind of means more of nothing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, hey, I don't know. Didn't, which, which of the guys was the one that he took two nails and he tied a string and he was like getting sound on it? Was that house? And one of the things we were talking about, one of the guys that he just put two nails and he put a string. Robert Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. Did think yeah, about what that? He, yeah. That's the bull. Bull Diddy. The Diddy. Yeah, I mean, it was based on that. Okay. Yeah. You would take a. This was an actual instrument, though, but yeah. the idea is the same. You have one end of the string attached here, one on the bottom, and you pluck it. Yeah. So okay. probably Robert Johnson got the idea. He saw that instrument. So you know what? I can make this. Probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ingenious, in, in, in right? I mean, yeah, you could do genius. it. You know, you could you could make a guitar out of fishing line. I've done it as a kid. I did it. You know, uh, you ever seen Jack um Jack White? He did something. One of those documentary. He did a guitar that was just wood. He put the string yeah. in. And it's not. It's not that hard. You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of what a guitar is is really just cosmetic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, steel strings, which are, you know, on guitars, that gives it that particular sound on, a, on an electric guitar. Okay. Because okay? it's, it's steel, it's metal. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, you're using nylon now, I think, in, in acoustic guitars. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it's, it, it's all different, you know, but, but it, it, it can be done. You could do it with a nail and a string, like Robert Johnson, you know. Wow. So um, by 1955, which was when, you know, we always say the birth of rock and roll started. The Bo Diddley beat 
was kind of like all the rage. And he was asked to appear on the Ed Sullivan show. So, you know, he, he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show the same year as Elvis. Yeah. Johnny Cash. Okay. There was Bo Diddley. And, you know, Buddy Holly would follow after yeah. that. Okay. Uh, who I think was, was very influenced by Bo. But, you know, I, I, if you listen to some Buddy Holly stuff, you kind of hear a little Bo Diddley beat in the back, you know? Let me answer, but, Mike. Will you say once you made it to the Ed Sullivan show, like, that pretty much was like a break to your career because you were out to so many people. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was kind of like, you know, a make or break guy. If you ended up on the Ed Sullivan show, you had a career. You had a career. We should yeah. talk about, we should do a show about bands on the Ed Sullivan show from the Beatles to the Doors. Oh, yeah. You could do a whole show. You wouldn't have had, Ed Sullivan actually hated rock and roll. Wow. <laughs> okay. But he, but he understood the the power of i mean he was a ed sullivan was a businessman you know but and and he made some very smart decisions having certain people on because you know it would it would be great for his ratings and it would it would you know push their career and then they would come on again and his ratings would even be higher you know it yeah. was all in a circle <laughs> but but uh he was kind of a douchebag okay ed sullivan in some ways you know not the nicest guy but uh, a smart businessman and uh you know bo was asked to come on that year uh in 55 and yeah. while he was rehearsing before the show uh he was doing a song called 16 tons which was a song that was popular at the time by tennessee ernie ford yeah and uh he was just singing it and a staff member of the ed sullivan show said hey that you know that sounds great why don't you perform that tonight so he said, okay. So there was, you know, what happened next is a little bit of confusion, okay? Because when he came out on stage, he saw a cue card in front of him that said the words Bo Diddley and then 16 tons. And he got confused because he thought they were asking him to do the song Bo Diddley and then the song 16 tons. He wasn't supposed to do two songs. He was only supposed to do 16 tons. Okay, they just died. They had his name on the cue card. That's what that meant. But he got, he got, I mean, it's an honest mistake. But Ed Sullivan got so pissed off because he kind of did one song and just segued right into the other one. He couldn't get out of it. And remember, those shows were live. Yeah. In those days. So he had to, you know, Ed Sullivan had to eat it and go with it. Okay, I'm not sure how it, affected the rest of the show if anybody got bumped or did they go over i, I had no idea if they went over the time but um it, it, he was so pissed off that he banned bo diddley forever okay on the ed sullivan show and he actually <laughs> said oh you know you're not even going to have a career in six months which you know obviously was was not true okay <laughs> but um chess records later on in 1960 would would do a uh, they would they would release a version of Sixteen Tons by Bo Diddley, okay? It would come out uh, on the album Bo Diddley is a Gunslinger, very cool. That's album. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now Diddley was a, uh, you know, an innovator on guitar as well. Okay, uh, he invented and he perfected what was to be called the the Bo Diddley beat. That was just something he came up with. All right. And using his cigar box-shaped guitar, he called it a twang machine, 
Okay. Uh, it was a lot of people think he built it. That's not true. Okay. Uh, Gretsch Guitars actually built it for him. Okay. okay? Uh, there's always, you know, there's urban legends that he made that guitar. It's not really true. He had it built by Gretsch. But um, he had a lot of unique guitars. Okay. And they would have like uh, built in knobs and effects that other people weren't doing at all. And if they were, they were probably using pedals, okay, uh, for, okay? And they may yeah. not have even had a lot of pedals. Maybe he days. didn't make the guitar. Maybe he told them how to design it. Can you add this to this? Can you put this to it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there's always been people that have said, oh, he made that box okay. shape. No, he didn't. Okay. He didn't do that. But, but I mean, Gretsch is a, is a you know, classic yeah. company. That's who you go to. Yeah. So, um. His lyrics sometimes were, if you listen to them, they were very like funny or witty. Yeah. In the in, in, in the way he sang, um, the song "Bo Diddley" itself was based on the African American clapping rhyme, the handball. Okay, it's like like that, you know, and that was called the handball. And who do you love? Okay, which is I mean, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's, it's who do Hamble, you love? Hamble, Hamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you slap, slap, slap your, you, you know, slap your knees like that, yeah. and yeah, that that was his beat. Yeah. Okay, that's what all it was based on. Now, the song "Who Do You Love," if you listen to the words, okay, he's he's like boasting. Uh, you know, I walk twenty I walk twenty seven miles of barbed wire. I use a cobra snake for a necktie, like all these things. Like he's a badass, right? Yeah. Well, that that was a that was a takeoff of a, a, a black game called the dozens. Okay. Now, if you remember, uh, we all grew up on Good Times, right? Yeah. Now, Good Times took place in Chicago. Oh yeah. And if you remember, the father James and and JJ, the son used to do the dozens, okay? They're like, they would rank each other out sometimes. Yeah. All right, and that's that's what like, in, in some of Bo's music, especially Who Do You Love, that's what it was kind of like. Now, through the 50s and the 60s, uh, he, had, he had quite a few hits. Um, the song Pretty Thing, okay? Yep. Now, who do you think the Pretty Things got their name from? The uh, song. From Bo Diddley, yeah. right? That's how they got their name. Um, they had, he had a song called "Say Man." He had a song called "You Can't Judge a Book by Looking at Its Cover." Nice. Um, yeah, that's a great song. Now his albums, Bo Diddley is a gunslinger, and another one was called "Have Guitar Will Travel." They were big hits. Um, in fact, he had eleven albums released by Chess. Okay, between nineteen fifty eight and nineteen sixty three. That's basically two a year. You know what's so funny about that? That was like almost like a early form of rap when you think about it, because it was all rhyming. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. You know? He um you know, I don't know if, if, if rappers are today if they're they realize that, but I'm sure the original rap guys like Grandmaster Flash and stuff like that, they had to be listening to Bo Diddley in the oh, way yeah. that he, he wrote a lyric and delivered a lyric. Okay. So it's definitely <laughs> You know, hip hop is influenced by Bo, whether it realizes it now or not. But um, 
But Bob uh, Dylan was like a form of a Bob. Bob Dylan did the same thing. He did. Like, he didn't do it like them, but he was he was rhyming and rapping before the others could see. He really didn't sing. He talked. Bob didn't talk. To this day, I still think yeah. Bob Dylan's not a singer. He he talks. Okay, so he no, talks. he talked. You know. No, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good point. Um, and, and again, I don't know if if too many rappers today are going to admit that, but the original rappers. They were they were listening to that stuff because you know Bob Dylan is like you say he talks but it's also like poetry. Yeah, it's poetry. Okay, and uh, a lot of his music is like that. And yeah. and yeah, you you have that's why he's you know there's Dylan and then there's everybody else. Yeah, you know? I mean, but um, by the '60s, Bo's appeal had begun to kind of cross over into a lot of white audiences. And he would perform sometimes at, at at DJ Alan Freed's concerts. Okay, remember we did the show on Alan Freed. Yeah. Yep. Um, but his music was really like not like what other rock and roll songs. They, they didn't sing about teenage love or you know nothing like that. Um, he had often like pretty adult themed lyrics in his music. Um, his popularity by 1963 was so high, he actually went to the UK uh, with the Everly Brothers and Little Richard to do a tour. Okay. Um, the Rolling Stones opened up to the, to <laughs> these guys. The they, night, were I mean, <laughs> they were unknown in 1963. Okay. How crazy and, uh, is that? These guys opened up for Now, do you remember the show? Remember the show we did on Little Richard where I talk about this talk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And just to just to reiterate, sort of sort of fans here understand. Little Richard wasn't actually part of that tour in the beginning. Okay. Bo was the headliner. And you had the Everly brothers and you had the Stones. But yeah. in some parts of England, it really wasn't selling good. All right. So they brought on Little Richard, and all of a sudden, it just everybody went crazy. Yeah. Because Little Richard was a, like a great live performer. Like you saw him live. And he had disappeared for a few years to do his preaching. Right. He became a reverend and all that. Yeah. And then, and then he joined this tour, and he actually saved this tour. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He did. So, um, Bo would sometimes write also for other people, okay? Um, in 56, uh, him and guitarist Jody Williams wrote the pop song Love is Strange for Mickey and Sylvia. That was a big hit. Yep. Uh, he also wrote Mama, Can I Go Out for rockabilly singer Joanne Campbell, uh, who had a minor hit singing that song in the 1959 rock and roll film Go Johnny Go. Go Johnny Go. Johnny Go. Now, in the early 60s, Bo would relocate down to Washington, D.C., where he lived at uh, 2614 Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, and he had a basement studio there for the first time. Um, he recorded the album Bo Diddley as a Gunslinger there. Uh, he also produced Marvin Gaye, okay, uh, when he was a member of the doo-wop band The Moon Glows. Yeah. Okay. We talked about this during the uh, Marvin Gaye show too. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a song for him called Wyatt Earp, and produced it. And he tried to shop it to Chess Records, but Chess uh, declined, and they ended up going on OK Records. It the, the song didn't go anywhere, but it was like yeah. the first time Gaye had been, you know, on record. Yeah. Pulled out. 
Right. Now, if you remember, the Moon Glow's founder was a guy named Harvey Fuqua. Yeah. And he sang backup on a lot of Diddley's albums, okay, as backup singer. Um, Marvin Gaye would then follow Fuqua to Detroit, and the rest would be Motown history. Yeah. For, for Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Uh, but uh, another huge part of Bo Diddley's act at the time, live, was he had a female guitarist named Norma Jean Wolford, okay? And her, nick her nickname was The Duchess. So it was very unique at that time to have a female guitar player. There probably weren't that many. Very, yeah, very few, very few. And not in that kind of stage presence. She used to, she used to look like, um, well, she called herself the Duchess. She looked like royalty. She wear like an evening gown kind of thing, and you know, very sheer kind of looking stuff. And a certain aspiring female guitarist, okay, named uh, we would all know her later on, named Poison Ivy from the Cramps, okay. She saw the Duchess one time with Bo Diddley, and it totally influenced the direction she was going yep. because. Poison Ivy used to wear those kinds of outfits. She'd wear a tiara on her head and kind of like, well, she took it to another level. Like her clothes yeah. were like, her clothes were see-through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, every I, I didn't miss a cramp show from 1986 to 2006 in New York City. And I was up front every time for Poison Ivy's nakedness on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he had another, uh, Bo had another guitar player, a female named Peggy Jones. Uh, she used to go by the name of Lady Bo. All right. And there was another one named Cornelia Redmond, who went by the name of Cookie V. All right. Now, through the decades, Bo could be seen live um, in small clubs or at big venues, either one. Um, he opened for the Grateful Dead one time in 1972 at the Academy of Music wow. on 14th Street, which became the, uh, the Palladium. Um, he also had uh, the song Bo Diddley appear in the groundbreaking animated adult film Fritz the Cat. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the scene. It's like they're all like snapping their fingers and they're yeah. singing Bo Diddley. Yeah. yeah. Um, from 1971 through 1978 he wrote relocated to uh los lunas new mexico a little change of pace for both yeah he uh was still playing his music would, would would often tour and play his music around uh new mexico places like that but he actually got into law enforcement he was a, he was a deputy sheriff for a little while in that town That's and he would, he, yeah yeah and he would he would donate um some patrol cars to the the Citizen Patrol, and he, he got involved with some law enforcement for a few years. So by the late 70s, he would leave La Lunas, New Mexico, and relocate back to Hawthorne, Florida. Uh, he lived on a large estate with a custom in a in a custom-made log cabin that he actually helped build. Okay. Wow. Um, the remainder of his life, he would kind of bounce between New Mexico and Florida. He would sometimes go spend time in Albuquerque and then back in Florida at his log cabin. Um, the Clash, if you remember in 1979, the punk band, yeah. they went on tour for their London Calling album. 
they were big Bo Diddley fans, and they asked him to do some shows to open up, and he did. Yeah, that's so, not bad. Yeah, yeah, I believe uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I think it was the the Palladium. I think he he opened up, and uh, the undertones I believe were there too. We talked wow. about that. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1982, he appeared in the George Thorogood video "Bad to the Bone." Okay, now if you remember that, I remember that. Uh, Thorogood was uh, obviously a big Bo Diddley fan. He actually oh, yeah. covered who he he covered who do you love? Yeah. Okay. But uh, that video is classic. I mean, I'm not a big fan of him. Okay, too much. I think he's just a little too like slick and polished for me. But but I respected him for having Bo Diddley in the video because it's kind of funny. Like he's playing pool with him. Yeah. Right. And and like Bo Diddley's like he gets his ass kicked kind of. In the game, and he's like, "What the fuck?" You know, he's like, <laughs> you know? It was great. But, um, it was great. Yeah, yeah, and like Thorogood is like, you know, running the table, playing pool. Um, in '83, he actually was in a, a film. He did, if you remember, he was in Eddie Murphy's Trading Places. You know what? I don't remember that. I was reading. He plays. That. He plays a. He play, Yeah, he plays the. Uh, it's a, a small part. He yeah. plays a, a pawn shop owner. They go in there and they're talking, and it's Bo Diddley behind the counter. That's pretty funny, man. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was reading that. I was like, I don't remember. That. I gotta look at that thing up. I gotta go on YouTube and look it up. Yeah, see if you can find the clip. Um, through the rest of the, um, excuse me, through the rest of the '80s and '90s, <clears throat> he would do a lot of uh, live shows. He would play with different people. BB King was one that he played with often. Uh, Les Paul, he played with him. Albert Collins. Uh, he did a couple of shows with the Rolling Stones. He came out on stage. Uh, I think they did uh, the song Bo Diddley with the Stones. I think there's there's a recording of that out there somewhere. Um, in 96, he recorded his first major album release. After 40 years of recording, he was never on a big label. Chess wasn't a major label, okay? No, that's like... Um, uh it's almost like kind of like an independent, but yeah. they, you know, they didn't call it that. But chess, chess, like uh, specialized in blues. They were like a blues label, so they were kind of just that, you know. Um, he actually, when he was on chess, he his his albums didn't come out on chess. They came out on a, sub, a subsidiary of chess called Checkers. Okay. Oh yeah, I see. Okay. It. Yeah, and it, I think. And if anybody can prove me wrong, feel free. But I think Checkers might have just been for Bo. That was it. Oh, That's all they put out. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. Okay, I think everything that Checker Records put out was Bo Diddley related in some way. I wonder if that um, he was probably one of the big stars that came out of that. He was. He, oh. he, was, the, he was a moneymaker on that label. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, like I said, in 96, he recorded his first major label album. Uh, unfortunately, it would be his final studio album, okay? And it was called A Man Amongst Men. And Keith Richards plays on it. Ronnie Wood from the Stones plays on it. Uh, the old girl group, the Shirelles, are on it singing. Um, it actually got a Grammy nomination. He didn't win, but he got a nomination for Best Contemporary Blues Album. Okay, 
In 2004, he played the Little Stevens Underground Garage Festival on Randall's Island. I got to see him there. <laughs> um, sadly, kind of by that point, he his health was declining. And um, he was he did the show sitting down, which was kind of sad to see that. But he sounded he sounded great and he was playing great, even though he was sitting down. He had that box guitar and he was just playing it while he was sitting. You know what's funny? Um, when I saw um, when I saw this guy, um, Jesus Christ, I just got a brain fart. Um, BB King? No. Um, dang. I'll think about it later, but I saw one of the guy, um, Barry, um, Barry White. Oh, Barry White, yeah, he would when do shows sitting down. End, he was sitting down, singing like he was dressed up, but he couldn't. He was just sitting down. He, he was a big guy, man. He was sitting he was down big... in MSG, sitting down, singing. But he sounded great, though, even though he was. He sitting sounded down, great, right? but you could tell that uh, he, he can't stand. Well, him. when you saw him, were girls throwing their panties at him? Girls were going crazy. He was old man. That, that, yeah, I mean, I, I heard stories with him, you know, at his heyday, they'd be throwing their panties at him. Yeah. And he was always a big, heavy guy anyway. You know, yeah. it's just like, it's his voice, you know. Well, he still had that same voice. It was like yep. a great voice, yep. but he was old. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a real talent. Um, what uh, the, the remainder of Bo's life, he did a lot of charity shows, okay, like when... Uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. He did some charity shows for people in the Florida Keys because the Keys got wiped out. Yeah. Um, he also, in 2006, he contributed his last musical recording on 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 an album with the New York Dolls. Okay. Wow. The New York Dolls had reformed, and when they were recording the album, one day it will please us to remember even this. He contributed a song called 17. He did some guitar work on that for them. And the New York Dolls have a history with Bo because they, on their first album that came out in 73, uh, the, the, they did the song Pills. Okay. That was a Bo Diddley song. Yeah. And then in 2007, uh, his health continued to decline. Uh, he had, you know, he was struggling with diabetes and he had a stroke following a performance in Iowa and yeah. it actually it, yeah it affected his speech he couldn't really speak after that um on June 2nd 2008 Bo Diddley died of heart failure at his house in Archer Florida uh he was at the age of 79 he was surrounded at the time by 35 members of his family when he passed uh at his deathbed the, the gospel song "Walk Around Heaven" was was played, wow. and right before right before he died, he uh, supposedly his last words were, "I'm going to heaven," and he he smiled and he passed away, something like that. Um, he he survived by six children, wow. a brother who was a reverend. He has eighteen grandchildren. 15 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. And he was married a few times, too. He had a big family there. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, his funeral service was done on June 7th, five days later. Uh, it was followed by a tribute concert who was attended by uh, Eric Burden, who I believe performed. Okay, Eric Burden from The Animals. Um, and 
you know, in the following days after his death, everybody was was coming out to commemorate him. Uh, Mick Jagger, Eric Clapton, B.B. King, uh, Ronnie Hawkins, Tom Petty, Robert Plant, uh, and George Thorogood, too, all came out to with tributes to him. Okay? Yeah, who's who's of everybody, man. And really, I mean, yeah, I mean, the but guy is so many people. He lived a long life, Mike, to 79 with all that shit, and he yeah. lived life. You know, and what's interesting is he's kind of like this bridge between probably the really the best example of a bridge between blues and rock and roll. Yeah. Because he started playing in the early 40s. Okay. And, you know, uh, rock and roll didn't exist yet, but he was coming up with something that would be very, you know, rock and roll. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, people talk about Chuck Berry. Yeah, absolutely. He he was a father of rock and roll, but he didn't have that that blues connection as much as 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 Bo. No, okay. And then guys like guys like Hal and Wolf, okay, started a lot earlier, okay. And and even though they carried, you know, Wolf carried into the rock and roll era in the fifties, sixties, and 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 early seventies. He was really more blues, you know. Bo kind of he 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 kind of bridged both of them very well, you know. There's some interesting recordings that I, I recommend to anybody if they want to check it out. Um, he did an album called Chuck Berry is on Top, 1959 with Bo Diddley. Yep. Uh, there's an album called Two Great Guitars with Chuck Berry. Okay, that came out in 1964. The two of them play together. Uh, an album called Super Blues, and that's uh, that came out in '67, and it features Muddy Waters and Little Walter. And wow. Bob. okay, and then there's the Super Super Blues Band came out a year later in '68. He did this album with Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. So, you know, he has that that deep blues connection, even though he he's still a rock and roll guy. So you know he was inducted to Rockabilly Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, yeah, he will. He was put in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. That's yeah, yeah that's in, in 1987. He was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he was also put in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. He was also inducted yeah. in the Washington Music Association Hall of Fame. He got a Lifetime Achievement Award from Guitar Player Magazine. Uh huh. He got another Lifetime in 1996. He got Lifetime for the Rhythm and Blues Foundation. He got a Grammy right. Lifetime in 1998. So you know what stuff kept coming, and and um, in 1999, his uh 1995 recording of Bo Diddy inducted to the Grammy Hall of Fame. The song Bo Diddy. So yeah, what do you think? Of, and he in 2000 he went into the Mississippi Musical Hall of Fame. So a lot of these places got Hall of Fame, from, even from Florida to. Everything. So this guy was all over the place, you know? Yeah, yeah, he influenced blues guys, rock guys, you know, all over the place, uh, you know, worldwide, not just in America. I mean, Bo Diddley was huge in England. Yeah. You know, I mean, on the first Rolling Stones album, they cover the song Mona, okay, which was one of his songs. Uh, you had to, you know, if you were part of the R&B scene, scene in, in the British Invasion, Bo Diddley was like, yeah, you know, the king. 
you know? Wow. So, yeah, so that's all I got for you today, Mr. Rossi. Bo Diddley, uh, living, you know, he's a, he's a legend, and, and he's missed today. Unfortunately, he's, you know, too bad he he died. But, you know, his music lives on, and, uh, it, it, you know, it, it influenced everybody from the early <laughs> rock and roll guys into the, into, the punk, into the punk scene. Yeah. You know? If he was alive now, he would have been like 100 years old. You realize that? Yeah, he was born in 20. Oh, shit. Well, I'm getting old, too. I forget. He died, yeah. He died in 2008, man. Like, it's, it's 20. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, he was like 80 years old. Now he'd be like, like 100 almost. Yeah. yeah he'd, he'd, be 100. <laughs> he'd be like, he'd be like 93. Yeah. It's like, Probably damn. still walking around with his entire. <laughs> and he always, he always had a girl on his arm. If you see, if you see like the old clips of him, there's always a chick there. <laughs> hey, he got it. You know what? He kept his thing going, and you know what? Hey, good for him, man. He, he seemed yeah. like he lived a pretty good life, and he also seemed like one of these guys that didn't uh, spend his money at the end of the career. Like he wasn't like down. He seemed like he had pretty good money. Yeah, and I don't think he abused himself too much. Okay, you know, with drinking and things like that. I, I, I I've never heard too many stories about him being like a crazy party animal. Yeah, you know, Howlin <laughs> Howlin Wolf was the same way. I remember Howlin Wolf was a, yeah. a very good businessman, and and, good and he had a lot of money even before he started his career. Yeah, from yeah. from performing. You know, we talked about that last week. So, you know, as much as you hear about the blues, it was the devil's music. It was you know uh, uh, going to lead to a lifetime of sin, okay, and debauchery. You know, if your parents found out you were listening to it, they, they weren't too happy with you, you know, but it's <laughs> yeah. not true. It's, it's, not it's true ridiculous. Yeah. So. All right, Mike. So how can we get a hold of you if we want to reach out to you? Okay. I'm on uh, Instagram, RockerMike212. Um, I'm also now on something called Clout Hub as RockerMike. I'm on MeWe as RockerMike. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under Michael Baker, and then under uh, on Facebook uh, the Rock Show Podcast group page that me and you run. Uh, we're on that as well. Every day we got new music. Uh, I did post some Bo Diddley recently, so check it out. Um, where can we find you, Rob? Um, you can find me anything getting lumped up. You look up lumped up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You're gonna see my little head looking like Obama. Little. <laughs> little and a, big, about little. and a big <laughs> smile and a big smile there and um pretty much i gotta give a lot of thank you to all the fans that have been listening to the show uh you know what the downloads are getting higher the the um the youtube channel is picking up the twitter account is picking up the the the, the instagram everything's picking up getting um placement in uh sweden um uh, Switzerland, Japan, uh, United yeah. States, so well over the place. So anyway, this is a podcast. Um, definitely listen to us, and uh, we do a bunch of shows. And uh, the universe is expanding. There'll be a lot more stuff coming out because um, pretty much, um, you know what? You start small, you just take it and take it, and make it bigger. And twenty twenty one, there's going to be a lot of shit coming up. It's going to be good. And to everybody out there, enjoy Black History. And Mike, what do we say all the time? Don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week.
Take care, people. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.